Hey everyone, you're listening to What's the Point, a podcast where we talk about all things in the life and ministry of Waypoint Church. And today I'm joined by my friends, Lawrence and Danny. And guys, we have, we've been doing a series on the book of Revelation. Most people I've talked to about Revelation mention that they can't remember a church doing a sermon series on the book of Revelation. That mo- most people, it seems like, haven't even really heard anybody preach on it, talk about it, other than, you know, your typical, are you hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe do like a quick, quick drive-by, but not, not on the whole book right? Uh, and so I'm, so I'm glad to have you guys here on, on the hot seat today where we can just dig into all the, all the juicy questions that people have about Revelation. And, um, you know, Revelation has some crazy stuff going on. I mean, you've got all this wild imagery and just symbolism, numbers, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I figured before, before we get into that stuff, let's, let's start with uh, what's, what's one of the most vivid dreams you remember having? And do we have seven minutes to answer this? <laughs> or four or three. I think three. Which three is three that magic. Okay, that we magic gotta have. Number. We gotta either yeah. be seven, four, three, twenty-eight. Yeah, one I think, of those. I think if it's four, we, we know, numbers. You, you may have already wasted one minute there. So <laughs> okay. okay, so vivid dream, Lawrence. So, so for me, yeah. I have a recurring dream. I think it's a stress dream and anxiety dream. There's two of them. One is one where I lose my teeth. Like, I don't know what's going on. Something's happening, and my teeth just start falling out of my mouth. You're like an old granny. Yeah, I mean, I just, 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 I'm like, oh my gosh, my teeth! My, I, have, I lost a tooth. Then another one falls out. Then I'm like, I freak out in my dream because my teeth are falling out of my mouth. Wow. So that's one dream. And my you're other, married to a dentist. Were these before Gina? I, you know, honestly, I don't remember. Okay. It might be after. The okay, other one is uh, I dreamed I'm in high school again, and I've skipped so much class that I don't know what my assignments are and my test is on. So I freak out because I have a test or an assignment due, and I have no idea what's going on, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going on. And having, so those are my two recurring anxiety dreams. Well, yeah, for me, I don't remember many dreams. I only remember dreams when I wake up in the middle of the night, and then maybe I'll, like, I'll like probably about once every four or five months will I remember a dream. But when I was a kid, my dream was I'd be running, and then my legs would freeze. And I couldn't run anymore. No one was chasing me or anything. I just couldn't run. And then uh, into teenage years, into like, not teenage years. In teenage years, I can't remember. I think it was the running dream. But when I got into adulthood, I would have this same dream, Lawrence. Like, I'd be back in high school. And I'm like, I graduated from college. (laughs) I got a degree. And they're like, I don't know why. And they're like, nope, you got to pass these classes. And then I was like, well, can I at least play on the baseball team or something? Like, you know, because I was like, can I at least do some of the fun stuff? Like, nope, you got to graduate. And I'm like, I know I went to college. I know I did. And I just kind of argue with them. And I can't get out of I can't get out of high school. Uh, I don't know really. I haven't had that one in a couple of years. But like I said, I don't I don't remember much. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she has vivid dreams and she she can almost tell me them then, you know, the next mm-hmm. day. So I'm, I'm just not a big dreamer, but. I think those are the two dreams that have happened that multiple to multiple times I've had those dreams. Yeah, I've heard Erica describe your dreams more as just you thinking. Yeah, you, you so describing your dreams is just I wouldn't you even call them dreams. She'd be like, "What did what did Yeah, sometimes I'll just wake up and I'll like talk to Lawrence in my dream of all the things I need to say to him <laughs> or I like deal with all the stuff I need. It's like my it's almost like my brain is planning for the next week. Mm-hmm. So those I don't know, maybe yeah. So l- luckily, I don't remember much, but yeah, the the r- not being able to run thing was kind of freaked me out. That one used that one used to freak me out, and I would feel it in the middle of the day. I'd be like, oh no, I'd be sitting like in my chair, and I'd be, and I try to like go run just to make sure I could run because I had that <laughs> one so many times as a child. But yeah, so that's me. How about you, Eric? 
Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm similar to you, Danny. Like I don't I rarely, if ever, remember a dream. It's like maybe once a year, once every other year, kind of thing. Like it, it's it's super rare for me. So uh, the last dream I remember was from about two years ago. Uh, I the the long the the gist of it is that I was I was in a in a house and I like the house exploded. There was like a bomb or something. It just exploded, and I blacked out and and. Next thing I remember is that uh, I was I, one, of, one of my legs had gotten blown off, and I was learning how to how to walk again, and so that was that was the gist of the dream. Wow. So uh, I I was a psych major, so I, I've done a little bit of thinking about what like you know what what's going on in my mind in that situation. I have, have some theories, but nothing that I want to really throw out there. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I got. So if any of you have Joseph type uh, Joseph from the Old Testament type. Uh, dream interpretation skills or Daniel or something, please let Eric know. So, or any yeah, of us, yeah. so we can, yeah, I we mean, can know ourselves better. Inception and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, so, so revelation, as we said, it's, it's an interest, it's an interesting book of the Bible because it, again, it has all, all of the symbolism, metaphors, biblical references, numbers that have meaning that, you know, why, why do numbers have meaning? All, all you math people out there, maybe you like that, but uh, if you're just trying to read the Bible, that's not not really what you're reading it for. But anyway, uh, it seems like it seems like there's uh, there's a lot of talk of end times, or at least the way that uh, it used to be more popular than it is today. That people people used to spend a lot more time talking about the end times, but but today you don't you don't see that as much. And so just you guys growing up in you know 80s 90s kind of coming 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 to age and in, in youth group and all that stuff what, what was your experience like growing up in an era where these topics were much more prominent in churches yeah so i'm a little older a couple years older than lawrence but i i kind of hit it right at the peak so the 70s there was a book called the late great planet earth it was actually the number one selling book in America or in the English language, one of those two. And it was basically just a Christian book of prophecy by a, a guy, I don't even know, he Old Testament, I don't know what he, what he was, maybe just a pastor, but he uh, basically tried to take the current world events, particularly the Cold War, uh, Europe was uniting, you know, a lot of these different events and match them to Old Testament prophecy and Thessalonians and Revelation, a few, you know, some of the stuff in the New Testament. So I, gr- I grew up right in the middle of that. Uh, I mean, I would say it, I couldn't go two or three times in some kind of church setting where someone wasn't saying, we're in the end times, Jesus is coming back now, you know, he, the rapture's coming any day now, you got to be ready, and which isn't, it isn't bad to always be prepared that Jesus is coming. That's a good thing. Mm. But it shouldn't change much. I should live the same. If I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I should pretty much do the same things anyway. But it, it led to some people, like, just it changed their perspective in, in, in a bad way, not in a good way. So that was one thing that I noticed as a kid. And there was even a book called, like, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988, because 1988 was the 40th anniversary of Israel became a nation in, like, 1948. So... And you just watch TV shows. And then there was this book series called Left Behind that came out in the 90s. And it was based on this uh, pre-mill, pre, 
pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view, and we'll talk about that a little later. And <laughs> yeah, so are we, should I, you know, as, as one who's not as, uh, as, as like on the, in the deep end on some of this stuff, should I be worried that people are just going to get raptured? Like, it, it, are, am I just going to see people advantage? Yeah, I mean, or? there are clear texts where it talks about that we will meet Jesus in the air, that some people, when, when Jesus does finally return, that the people who haven't died will meet Jesus in the air, rise with Christ, and those who have died, their bodies will be renewed. I mean, it, I used to think about people who were like, who you know, who had died in to see or whatever, and their bodies had disappeared, you know, or bones that are gone. But somehow it says all our bodies will be renewed. We don't really know. There's a mystery to it. But yeah, so there there is something true to what was being taught, but they were also always linking it to modern historical events, like Juan Carlos, the dictator of Spain, was the Antichrist. Uh, Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist, you know, different, different things. So I grew up kind of in that. For some of my peers and kids from my church, it really scared them. And they were, some of them, it drove them to like, I don't want to miss the rapture, so I'm going to turn toward God. Other ones, it just turned them into like, am I saved? They were always worried about, oh, I got to make sure like I'm living, I'm doing everything right just so I missed it. So it became legalistic, but also very guilt, guilt driven. And it wasn't that great for many of my peers and then people just love the speculation of it so like even people who didn't go to church read the left behind books and were really into it and a lot of movies like secular movies even got into these themes and stuff so it was it was it was kind of this hodgepodge and then people started talking about Nostradamus and the Mayan prophecies so all this stuff was just just in the air and you couldn't escape it whether you were in a mainline church a Pentecostal church, an evangelical church, you know, Baptist church, fundamentalist church, whatever. It, w it was just in the air, and everyone generally, except for a few Christians weren't thinking like this, kind of got caught up in, in the hype of it, but a lot of people I don't think were reading Revelation as hopeful. They were reading it more of like, I don't know, more like sci-fi almost, or in fear. So that, that's, that's a little bit of my experience. Other people might have had a different experience. I was, I was born in 1975, so I kind of literally was born when it started mm -hmm. and lived my teenage years as it, as it reached its peak. And then my college years, it kind of like fizzled off into my adulthood. So I think there are a series of events that occurred that made the 1900s, specifically the late 1900s, kind of prime for this kind of talk. Uh, dispensationalism kind of was really introduced in the late 1800s but got really popular in the 1900s. Yeah, after, between World War One and World War Two, and then World War Two, and then the Cold War. Right. Yeah. And then dispensation got popular, and then uh, a new wave of Pentecostalism, Azusa Street Revival, all that kind of stuff got popular as well, mm -hmm. which all led to much more of kind of an emphasis on prophecy and different hermeneutical methods, methodologies. You combine that with, for the first time in the history of the world, we have the ability to actually destroy the world. Yeah. Nuclear bombs, Cold mm -hmm. War building up. Interesting. You know, so that really all led to people really focusing on end times, and for the first time realizing the world could end tomorrow. Yeah, we my the capability of it. My my parents grew up in South Florida, and which is real close to Cuba, and supposedly the Russians had submarines all along the coast of Florida. And my mom used to have drills every week, like what to do if a bomb came. That that's how was her reality. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up, Lawrence. So I I'm, that too. I'm like no, a child of that. But my parents' generation was the one that felt it. So when they read, so when someone told them in church that the locusts 
in Revelation are helicopters, and this is the atomic bomb, and mm-hmm. this is they, they, this is China, and this, this is, is Russia, the Soviet this Union. Is, this is the European Union. This is because Rome's still there. So right. there's one city, one parallel city. So yeah, so it definitely was ripe season for this dispensationalist theology that basically taught that prophecy was literal and you could you could really interpret the signs of the times interesting thing is at different times in church history they've also thought that it was linked to their time uh-huh. so we're this that wasn't the first generation ever to read revelation or read the old testament prophets and try to plug it into their time right and then for me who's kind of the children of that generation who really got into that stuff we got into it because they were fearful of it uh-huh. they got into it they started making it more and more popular left behind came in 1995 the book came out roughly in that area in that time period and so we got into it like the way we got into like horror movies mm-hmm. you know it was like yeah. watching the omen or yeah i had friends who were not christians didn't care about the bible reading that book and some christians were like isn't this great they're all going to get saved None of my friends got saved. They just thought it was a cool, right. interesting sci-fi almost. And it, I mean, maybe some people did. I'm not saying no one did, but yeah. And, and it's interesting, like I said, Lake Ray Planet Earth was the most popular selling book of the whole 1970s. And then the, the most popular book of the 90s was the Left Behind series. Like, so it just kind of shows you uh, that's that's where we were as a country. The Cold War ended, you know, in the late '80s, uh, and that began to change the shift. I would say then the fear of of Russia dropping a bomb on us, you know, instantly kind of went down. And it really wasn't until about 9/11 when when a new fear, a new a new kind of fear came. But yeah, so that's that's basically what I experienced. Luckily, my personality, I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. I mean, I definitely didn't want to miss the rapture as a kid. And I remember, I'll tell you a funny story. (laughs) One time we lived in a two-story house and I was probably about 15. You know, I was a a decent kid, but you know, though I had did some probably bad stuff or thought bad things or whatever. And I remember coming downstairs one day and being like, Lauren, Kristen, I knew my dad was at work, (laughs) mom. And like, no one was there like in my house and then i go out to the neighborhood. i lived in a pretty dense neighborhood and i didn't see anybody and then i was like holy cow i missed the rapture <laughs> and i remember seeing are there any cars they erect you know i went like closer to where the i was trying to hear for screeching or sirens i was looking and just my sisters were at the neighbors and it just happened to be like three in the afternoon or something a summer day when just nobody was outside and for about 10 minutes i thought i missed it and I remember repenting and telling God, I'm so sorry, <laughs> you know, and wow. I shouldn't have done whatever I did, you know, I don't know. So that's, but I, I definitely think Jesus is coming back. Yeah. I, and I, another funny story is when I entered into the Methodist church after college and started hanging out with Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopals, they introduced me to Advent. I had never heard of Advent. And they're like, yeah, we kind of, they had a different view. They were like, at Christmas time, they talked more about Jesus is coming back. They they were like, "Did you celebrate Advent in your church?" I was like, "Yeah, every week. That's all we talked about was the, be ready." And so there there there's not it's not bad to be ready. Uh-huh. It's part of who we are as Christians that Jesus is coming back, and and it's real. And G- his judgment, the day of the Lord is real, and it's it's going to be a dreadful day for those who don't know Christ, and it's going to be a beautiful day for those who do. At the same time, I t- was taught about prophecy and 
particularly the book of Revelation, from a perspective that was more based on fear than hope. Yeah, uh, that's good. And so we can keep getting into this a little bit more. I think it's it's interesting because we even speculating. As Lawrence says you're bringing in some of the the history, some of the the the, um, the the different events that are going on that have led to these different interpretations that kind of feed into some of the things that you're experiencing. Uh, my generation's kind of coming to age post 9/11 and just seeing what that how that's kind of changed the uh, the psyche of the American West in general. It's just it's it's fascinating to think about. Because uh, you're even kind of speculating before this, uh, before this podcast, that you know you, you even start to see popular movies. The, the shift goes more toward fiction, fantasy. You have like Lord of the Rings is huge post 9/11. The Marvel universe is just goes. Yeah, there were wild, no right superhero movies like, like from for like a 20 year gap. It was like Howard the Duck, the <laughs> Batman movie. The first one was decent. The like, I mean, literally like Superman came out. And then there was like this gap of superhero movies for like this long, long period of so, time. So it's interesting to see how, how some of that stuff is working out. Now, now, now it seems like, um, you know, if, if the end times were this huge focus uh, on the forefront of a lot of people's minds in the 80s and 90s, now it seems like the, the pendulum has totally shifted. It's totally swung in, in the other direction where you don't really hear people talk about it that much at all. I mean, people, you know, even this idea of thinking about things eternal and thinking about, you know, you know, Having having Advent as as part of the our our normal church calendar, it seems like you know, the, these are the only times that we talk about these things, and the only times we really talk about how how often uh, in in the year in our in our daily lives do we even think about yeah Jesus is coming back and do we even want that like it's just it's just not present. And so I'm so I'm wondering what what do you guys think like what do we lose by not giving as much attention to the end times or or even to the Book of Revelation because it seems like you hear more and more people. Either they haven't read it or they haven't read it that much. And that's the beautiful thing about the book of Revelation, that it's not just end times. If you read the book well, if you understand the book of Revelation well, interpret it well, it's actually showing you the full picture of the gospel throughout the course of history, God's redemptive plan. And so that's what we need to see reminders of. We need to see the whole plan. We need to see the beauty of God's work, God's plan. And we need this constantly in our lives. I think you're right. I think one of the things you made a statement is that, well, do we even care? Do we even want Jesus to come back? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the main problems that we're facing as a society is that, especially as rich, successful Americans, I can understand if we were living as poor, struggling to survive every day, I could hear a cry out, maybe a longing more, Jesus come back. If we were enslaved people, like the Israelites were, mm-hmm. we could cry out more, Jesus come back. If we were in famine. Or if we were in famine. If we were in constant threat of war. There are brothers and sisters around the world exactly. right now who are suffering. We have brothers and sisters in North Korea right now who feel like mm-hmm. they want Jesus to come back now because they're suffering. They're they're. Their their worldview is very very different than us who are living in comfort and I mean we, we and, kind of are general we, peace we are experiencing some some mm-hmm. huge challenges today and it seems like we we just happen to have enough things to numb us to it we have yeah. enough comfort a- us available and, yeah. to, to us right. that it, yeah we've so, numbed ourselves effectively enough to that maybe lack a desire to see Jesus come back yeah so interesting though is the term end times and versus the advent the coming the return of Christ. And I think in the 80s, people always said end times, end times, end times. Which seems scary. But, that's but a, really... It evokes fear, right? That's right. Like, and you'll hear this later when we talk about it, but as I see Revelation, I see it as kind of like, like Lawrence said, a picture of redemptive history. So it's picking up different points along the way 
and some of the visions that John's getting of heaven are things that might be happening during the church age, things that might be happening after the day of the Lord. We don't know like how it all unfolds, but uh, some of the plagues and things that people experience, particularly in the passage we read in, ju- you know, just this last week, what, what do we read, 9 through 11 or 8 through 11, like many Christians around the world have already experienced that, you know, in different po- famine and earthquake and war, and others may never have experienced that. But, but I, I think that for some reason we got fixated on this end times thing and forgot about it's more about the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I don't want to say that all Christians from the 80s and 90s and 70s were bad. Like they, they were seeking God and looking at what was going on around them and, and, and trying to make sense of it all and maybe got swept up in a little too much of this and this became a blind spot. The interesting thing is I remember sitting in the movie theater maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and watching all the previews. And this was right around the point when they do like six or seven previews. When I was a kid, I feel like there was like three. But every movie, it was like some Tom Cruise movie, Will Smith movie. Every movie was about like aliens attacking the earth or people getting lost in space. I mean, it was like, there was no preview of a movie just about like normal people living on earth in normal situations. Every movie was about the future or apocalypse or zombies or aliens taking over. And I just remember thinking that, wow, like all of us are trying to figure it out. And then, but we have God's word and we, and it is cryptic. It is, we, you know, hard to understand, but it's also, there are, we can also understand it and we can get, we can glean from Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel and Revelation as Christians and really get a glimpse of what God is doing we're going to suffer and where we're headed and, and how we can have hope in all this. So that's that's kind of so I would say instead of focusing on end times, I think we focus on the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. What do we need to be doing as his church to build his kingdom so he will come and inaugurate his kingdom? And and how can we prepare our hearts and minds and prepare us as a body, as a bride to meet Christ? So that's so my shift became, I didn't want to, I don't really care about when are the end times? Are we in them? Is it fully? What's it going to look like? It's more like Jesus is coming back and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So let, how can we, that be our hope? And that's the reminder that the New Testament gives us over and over again, not just in the book of Revelation. It's just a reminder that live in this hope, mm-hmm. you know, live in this reality. It always says that over and over again. Jesus comes soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It says yeah. he is coming soon. He is coming soon. It's to remind everybody, how are you supposed to live your life? You live in the hope and the reality that Jesus is coming soon. Like if you read mm-hmm. Paul's letters, he thinks Jesus is coming in, like <laughs> in his lifetime. Yeah. yeah, He's ready. He's ready for the Lord to come. Come, Lord Jesus was, was an, a cry of the early church. Mm-hmm. And it can be our cry too. And we don't have to wait for the end times. We can just say... God, whatever happens, whether it's suffering or good, whether, you know, we're going to trust you. So that's, that's kind of how I've moved on past it is, and I love the Advent season. And we're actually, we're going to celebrate it at Waypoint with the last two chapters of Revelation. We timed it perfectly. Will be our Advent celebration uh, here in December. Yeah, so that's good. So I feel like you guys are even answering this question of like, why why is Revelation important? It's 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 doing Revelation is, is ushering us forward. It's it's the the culmination of things, and, and I think it's a it's a helpful corrective, Danny, to say, okay, instead of framing it as end times, let's think about it as Jesus returning, which is 
something that we believe is core to our faith. We 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 genuinely believe that's true, and and so uh, and and you know, it's the, the, but the challenge is that wading through. So so this re- revelation obviously fits in the the grand redemptive story that God is He's ushering us forward in. And, and Lawrence, you mentioned uh, that you can see traces of, of the gospel evident throughout throughout the book. Um, but when you read it, I mean, there is this element of it's it's strange. It's confusing. It has all the all this imagery that that's that seems foreign to us, and we're like, is this is this for real? Like what? Like how do I how do I wrap my mind around it? So so for the person who maybe they've read Revelation before, but they're like, I just I'm just not getting anything out of this, or maybe maybe they've only heard some of the baggage that you guys have mentioned. So they're like, I don't even want to go near it. Now they're saying, okay, you've convinced me. Now I think it's it's worth reading Revelation, but it's hard. It's hard to, and, and even reading through the prophets, the prophets are hard to understand. So, mm-hmm. so what advice would you give to help out those who, who are coming in trying to read Revelation who are saying, you know, there's just all this stuff that I don't understand. Like, wh- how, how can I see it the way you're seeing it? And how can, I, how can I get something profitable out of it? Well, I would start by saying, why was Revelation written? And this is from, uh, from G.K. Beale, one of the top you know greek scholars and study revelation for years and he 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 kind of sums it up in three points he says willingness to suffer for christ as the path to ultimate victory that's one of the reasons revelation was written the second one was the sovereignty of god in human history often indicated by so many references to god's throne throughout the book and the third is the new creation as a goal and fulfillment of biblical prophecy which is a permanent regaining of the eternal eden so if you start with like this is our future. This is this vision, as confusing as it is, is is hopeful. And I think not everyone understood Isaiah at the time of Jesus, but they they all understood that there's a Messiah coming, and you could read parts of Isaiah and get a clear meaning. And I think sometimes in Revelation, just like we're we're not going to fully grasp every part of it. The w- reason John wrote it, and how the original audience would understand it, maybe there's some symbolism and some cryptic things that that were easier for them that that are a little harder for us or maybe even were hard for them like we'll never get that but you can read revelation and get the hope and you can see that god is is giving them perseverance through suffering that human history is is part of his plan and then you can see all the references to the old testament you can see how it god is tying together the grand vision but my advice would be you can't read Revelation and understand it without some commentary because like for 2,000 years, the church has, about 1,900 years, the church has been poring over this book and studying it. And, and so, I mean, I would say it's good to read it through once and then get commentary. Uh, there's a great study Bible that we often recommend here at Waypoint. It's called the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. It has great notes. On Revelation and you can read that alongside reading it and and sometimes it'll say like this is our opinion on what this might mean and then it might give two or three different interpretations of what the locust could mean or or what this might mean in redemptive history or in, in the history that they're experiencing in the Roman church at the in the Roman Empire at the time so I would say that yes there's gonna be parts of Revelation you can just read you can read about the New Jerusalem and get it you can read about John's uh, Jesus's exhortation through John to the churches and get it. Okay, I get these are some of the problems the churches have. You can even parallel it to us. 
but some of the stuff in the middle, you're going to need some commentary. And, and most a good commentary is just going to show you how the Bible interprets this. It's going to take you back to Daniel and take you back to Joshua or Exodus or you know, show you how this is part of the redemptive story. And it might give you some insight on this might mean Emperor Nero, or this might mean uh, the Babylonian Empire, or this might mean this, or, you know, but a good commentary uh, is going to help you put the big, put the puzzle pieces together and, and really enhance your ability to understand Revelation. Yeah, my advice would be what my old pastor told me. When I told him, I said, hey, I need to study the book of Revelation. Let's do it. He said, okay. And we turned to Genesis 1-1. Yeah. And we just went through the book of Genesis. And I was like, hey, I thought we were doing Revelation. He goes, you'll never, ever understand Revelation without knowing the rest of the Bible. Yeah. So much of the book of Revelation is Old Testament illusion. Mm-hmm. And when I say illusion, I mean like sometimes when they, when they mention the day of the Lord or one like the Son of Man or four or seven or some of these, they want you to actually think about the images found in Zechariah or found in Psalms or found in all these other places. They hope that the, the John, the writing, is writing to an audience who know these things. And so really understand the Old Testament really radically helps you understand the, the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is referring to the Old Testament constantly. Now, most of us are not on that level of understanding the Old Testament. We're going to spend our whole lives reading it and studying it and memorizing it that well. Yeah. You know? So what I truly recommend, like Pastor Danny said, is commentaries. Um, the hyperlinks that we talk about, those are just helpful. You know, the cross-references. The, yeah, the, the cross-references. I think, I think, yeah, like being, especially when it comes to some of these harder books, being willing to spend time, you know, going, going down the, the, the so-called rabbit holes or the rabbit trails where you have these different references to these different cross-references. I mean, I, Lawrence, you mentioned a stat in one of your sermons that, what, that like mm-hmm. every one and a half verses in the book of Revelation has a reference to the Old Testament. Yep. So A direct reference. Uh, yeah. And then probably... Every three words has an indirect reference. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, like, being willing to just take your time and going to that. But then, uh, you know, as you're saying, Danny, like, being able to get the kind of the, like, trace out what, what the overall message of the book is. Like, what, what is, who is John writing to? Why was he writing to him? What, what's he trying to accomplish? What kind of hope is he trying to instill in them to give them this, this confidence as, as they're being persecuted? That there is, there is hope in, in the return of Jesus and, and what that means for us. But, um, yeah, I think... You know, if it, it, it seems obvious, but it, it may be worth saying that you can't you can't read the book of Revelation like a like a sci-fi novel, right? Like you can't <laughs> you can't read it like I mean it's it's it has its own genre. It's it's like this hybrid letter slash apocalyptic literature, and it's not something that we we generally read. I mean, you see you see some of this at least evidence of this in some of the prophets in the in the new uh, in the Old Testament, but um, yeah, I think just trying to keep your eye on on the main thing but then also i think there's some there is some comfort in knowing that there, there are things about it that maybe we just can't know yet or uh i mean there, there's even that a, a part in chapter 10 where it's like john's about to write down something and then he hears a voice from heaven saying don't write that down and so he doesn't it's like well, what was he gonna write down <laughs> so i guess we can't know exactly what that means but um, yeah, this is, so I, I find that helpful. I think that's that's some good advice as, as people are starting to wade into it and know, you know, this is this isn't something that, that should provoke fear, but should provoke hope and, and, it, and joy. It's a, it's a lifelong pursuit. Like you're not gonna, you can get the hope in Revelation in the first reading, but 
studying the Bible, knowing God, like seeing how it all fits together, it's a lifelong pursuit. And that's why I'm glad that there's things like the Bible Project, which are, you know, helping people like break things up into chunks and using different types of technology to help us see the Bible as one complete picture of God's redemptive plan. So, yeah, so don't be discouraged. Be encouraged and, and press on in your, in your study of God's Word. And I promise you'll reap the rewards. Like the, the book of Revelation literally says, God will bless those who read it and study it. And it, it's part of our who we are, so it's it's a good thing, and we're here to help you. So, so when I was uh, that's good. So, so when I was in seminary, there was uh, this may have been the first time I really heard people really get into the weeds and debate like, what's the what's the best way to interpret the Book of Revelation? You know, is this is this is what John is writing? Uh, it obviously it's future to its original audience, but is it does is it past? Is all of this stuff in the past for us today? Or is some of it in the past for us today, but it's some of it's in the future? Uh, are are some of these events? Should we should we read it figuratively? Should we what? Should we read some things literally? How do how do we approach it? How do we how do we understand what the book is doing? And so, what what has been Waypoint's approach in interpreting the book the way that we have? Or yes. why don't you read the five real quick, Lawrence? Give the five major approaches to interpreting Revelation. Um, historically, the five interpretive approaches are preterist view, the futurist view, it's the historicist view, idealist view, or um, mixed view, or eclecticism. Eclecticism. How do you say that? Eclecticism. Eclecticism, like the word eclectic. Eclecticism. Struggling. So, which, so preterist means that uh, Revelation describes events that would take place soon after, like in the first century like right around the time of, of the Roman Empire. Futurist interprets it generally as in the distant, distant future. Mm -hmm. uh, historians, uh, they interpret it uh, development starting in John's day to Jesus' return. Uh, but many of them focus on Western church history. So a lot of these people were in the West, so they think like think Martin Luther and, and just, just stuff that was happening in the West is the big deal, but they kind of a lot of times they neglected all that was going on in Africa and China and other parts of the world. So, and then idealist uh, revelation symbolically depicts the ongoing conflict, conflict between the forces of God and Satan throughout the church age. Uh, idealists are, you know, they're reluctant to identify John's symbols with a particular past or future historical event. Um, and then the mixed view is that it's probably a little bit of everything. That like we've learned, Isaiah was a little bit of everything. When Jesus came, he's like, yeah, some of that was fulfilled at the time of Isaiah. Some of that was fulfilled in Jesus or the church age. And then some of the stuff that's pronounced in the Old Testament prophets hasn't even happened yet. It will happen. So the mixed view is kind of like saying maybe we should interpret Revelation how the early church interpreted Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jer Jeremiah, and the other, like realizing that that there's there's multiple interpretations of because there's different prophecies involved and there's and it's it's there's many layers to it. Um, yeah, so, so with that with that framework in view, okay, so you have you have these different approaches and in, for interpreting. How, how, have, how have we at Waypoint approached as as we've been going through this sermon series? Uh, yeah, Lawrence, what do you think? So I, I tend to, for me personally, take more of a mixed view. 
You know, I, I look oh, at it. Laying your cards out there. I I'm like laying it. my cards okay. out there. Yeah. I tend to say I take a mixed view on how I interpret it. I believe that there are elements of it that are pre-Christ's first advent. You know, where, where, where the, the images, prophecy scene is showing images of redemptive history. I believe there's parts of prophecy that's talking about something that's going to happen, has happened with Christ's death, and then also has happened with his resurrection, and then also happening in the early church. I believe there's things that are to happen, and that has happened in the church age, and things are going to happen after that. So I believe it's just a mixed view of, of, it's not all one way or the other. I think it's a good combination, mainly of interpreting it as a church age happenings. Yeah, and I would I would land in the same thing, the same place. I would say, and some people say that's a cop out, but I would say no, that's how it presents itself. Mm-hmm. Like here at Waypoint, we we tr- stress biblical theology, and we want to say how does the text itself present itself? If it presents itself in a way that, like we would interpret now, look in hindsight, interpret Isaiah and Daniel and, and Ezekiel. I, I would say Revelation is similar. Like it is showing things, and we're we're guessing. We we think the woman and the dragon links to a couple periods in in redemptive history. Maybe Mary uh, and the birth of Christ. Maybe the birth of Israel. Lawrence is going to preach on that uh, this this Sunday, so you guys get a you know, be excited for that. But it also could mean some other things in history. So. Like the next, the next chapter might be in a different period in history. It, it doesn't all have to be at the end. It doesn't all have to be right during the time of, of the church. I, I, w- I would say that the way it's written, the way that presents itself is, is not chronological or it, it just doesn't make sense. Some of these views, I'd say, like the partic- don't make sense. I'd, I'd say it's got to be a little bit of all of them because that's the way it presents itself. Um, so... I just want to, as we're right in the middle of this, I have this book, and it's all these charts of Revelation. It's like 129 pages of charts from Revelation. And, and, and one of the things it has in here is just names for believers in Revelation. So I just, just as, as we look at this book, it says, how does God name believers in, in Revelation? Servants, fellow servants, ones who read the word of the prophecy, those who hear, kingdom, priests brothers, partners in tribulation, churches, apostles, those who have ears, those who are victorious, faithful witnesses, saints, 144,000, the tribes of Israel, the great multitude, the prophets, the holy city, the, the bride, the new Jerusalem. So I think when you look at Revelation, like all these things are so different. They're so, they're at different points of the book. It's telling us different things about our reality, but all of those are beautiful. Mm. I love it that I have a book that says that's who we are mm. as God's people. All these things, you know, there's like 30 things that 30 righteous ones, sons, wives, people, first fruits, those who follow the lamb, you know, that that's how we're described in the book. So I so I my view tends to be like as the book presents itself, I want to interpret it as it presents itself. So that's that's kind of where it seems like that's where Lawrence and I have landed, so that's how we set up the preaching schedule. Yeah, that's good. And so, so as you're you're listening to this, there's, this is a lot of a lot of information to take in. If you if you're not familiar with these different uh, historical approaches to interpreting the Book of Revelation, uh, a good again a good study Bible will have have those listed out in the beginning, and you can you can look through that. There's there's plenty of resources that that, that stuff is available if you want to. Uh, come back around and, and kind of read through that and, and sift through it and think about, okay, here, here's where we said we're landing uh, and, and kind of work through that. Another uh, another hotly debated topic when it comes to 
the book of Revelation tends to be about one's view on the millennium and uh, even just, you know, what, what is the millennium? And so, so that's, that's my question for you guys. What, what is the millennium? What, what am I even talking about? Interesting thing is there's only six verses that mention it. It's, it's in Revelation 20, and it talks about this thousand-year period. Um, and thousand years is uh, a symbolic number. So oftentimes in the Bible when it's a symbolic number, it can mean uh, a whole or complete or something, or it can mean literal. Uh, there's three main views that the church has come up with, the, the premillennial view, the postmillennial view, and the amillennial view. And we made a joke on our staff. Yeah, so I, I'm amillennial. Eric's, yeah. Danny, Danny is premillennial. Because I'm Gen X. And then Lawrence is on the fence between Lawrence is born like and premillennial. He's, some he's charts say he's Gen X. Some charts say he's a millennial. So I'm he's, just special. So he's special. That's just that's a joke, y'all, if you're not tracking <laughs> with us. Kinda, We're kinda playing on the word millennial and the generations. But... Yeah, so premillennial just means that those who believe Jesus will return before this thousand-year reign of Christ and defeat the beast. What the Left Behind books is they created another category based on some interpretations of Revelation and some other Old Testament prophecy and some other thing in the New Testament. They thought there's a seven-year tribulation that, and there's like two raptures. Uh, historically, Christians didn't think of that. That idea was, was only about 150 years old. Uh, but the premillennial view means that Christ will return before the millennium to dis- defeat and destroy the beast and the false prophets, and then Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Um, then the postmillennial view means that the world, the Christian age, will happen, and that Jesus will return at the end of the age and defeat his enemies. And the amillennial view is kind of a like meaning not taking it as a literal millennium just means that it's a symbolic time frame between Jesus' ascension after Easter, uh, you know, after, before Pentecost, between Pentecost and Easter when Jesus ascends to heaven and his return. And the thousand years is the symbolic period of time. So those are the three main views that the church has had. And interesting about them is mostly this is from the Western church because the Western church had time to sit around and think about this. Um, and a lot of times the view that the the person who takes at the time is based on what's going on around them so different what's going on around them historically so that tends to change the position but throughout church history all three have been have existed um and some some theologians throughout church history didn't even really hone on hone in on this and just kind of skipped it all together it's it's kind of well known that Luther and Calvin generally avoided the book of Revelation. They didn't want to spend a whole lot of time trying to interpret it. They were busy doing other stuff, so they just kind of avoided it. They both generally, they both avoided it uh, more than they probably should have. So yeah, so those are the three views. Uh, I personally, I've been all three at different points because, you know, I hear a good pitch. But I would say right now, I think I'm an amillennialist. I just think that it's <laughs> describing the church age. But I've heard some really good arguments for premillennialism. And I feel like postmillennialism really rose before World War II when people thought, oh, Christians will kind of, kind of spread out throughout the earth. And then World War II kind of, I don't know, got rid of that, the zeal for that. Uh, but there's, there's a good case for all three. But I, I tend to think that it's probably just describing a period of time. But if I'm wrong, it's okay. It doesn't, like, 
it doesn't matter. We're, I'm still supposed to do the same things I do right now to build Christ's kingdom. No matter which three are, will end up being true, we should act the same way as Christians. That would be my argument. So I'll just collect my cards out there. I'm pretty much pretty hardcore email. Hardcore, wow. Yeah, I'm a little more hardcore than Danny's, I think, on this one. Well, I say hardcore. I'm not like, yeah. you know, if you're not a mill, you have the devil. You know, yeah. I'm more, I'm more like saying, I you think can't, I'm, you can't walk in sushioki if yeah. you're not a mill. Like, no sushioki you for you. Yeah, I, 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 I see the the advents coinciding together. I see the coming age. I see the tr- tr- the inaugurated kingdom. You know, well, the kingdom age and the advancement of the kingdom coinciding with the church age of a millennial. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. See, to me, Jesus inaugurated his kingdom, right? And then we're in that age of the church advancing. We're in his rule and reign. We're advancing his kingdom age. That's what the church age is to me. It's the advancing. This millennial reign is the advancing of the kingdom in the earth. Mm-hmm. So that makes me an amillennial. And there's only six verses in Revelation, right. so we don't got a whole lot to grasp on. Right. This is why I'm using other elements of Scripture yeah. to tie into my viewpoint on this age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So to me, it's like I don't, I don't. It's not the term millennial is what, what jumps out at me. It's the idea of kingdom advancement. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's helpful to to hear some of those things. That, do you guys have any uh, recommendations in terms of you know? I mean, to some people, maybe this makes their their head want to explode, but to others, this is like you know, you, you should have a view on this. So, it, any uh, any thoughts, any recommendations on forming a view, a, a healthy view on the millennium? I mean, you can just, you can read books. Mm -hmm. Normally now in American Christianity, we have books that say like four views on the millennium. Mm -hmm. You know, you can buy that book or you can buy a book that's from an A, from someone who tries to show all sides, or you can end up just listening to someone who has a strong position and you might embrace their position. But yeah, there's, there are some resources out there. I, I can't think of them off, but I'm almost positive this series called like, three views or four views, which has a lot of topics in Christianity, you know, tier one and tier two and tier three issues. They, they have, they have the book in the series published by Zondervan maybe 15, 20 years ago. So listen to the sermons. Yeah. 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 We're, we're going to teach it as is. So if the text, when the text talks about the millennium, we're going to bring this up, but okay. we're not going to be talking about it. We're not going to bet the farm on one of these views. And then our rest of all of our interpretation of Scripture is based on what we bet the farm on. That's one thing we won't do at Waypoint. We're not going to bet the farm on something that's speculative and then and then make that fit how we interpret like Romans or how we interpret Thessalonians. You know, it's going to influence it maybe that this passage is here in Revelation 20, but it's not going to change. We're we're not going to take one part of Scripture and one speculation and then reinterpret other exactly. parts of scripture and that's what my number one recommendation would be is that yes I obviously yes listen to sermon and all that kind of stuff but if you're looking for other people to read and to learn from find the ones who have a the hermeneutical understanding and methodology that you do you know like if you if you're gonna read something don't read somebody who interprets scripture is completely different you know, see, look for a consistent hermeneutic, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and look for someone who has a strong biblical theology. Like yeah, they, exactly. They, That's a good strong when they come When they come to the text, they're saying, what does it mean here? Not, what do I want it to mean? Because I wanted this other passage to mean it. We talked about this in a previous podcast. But, like, exegesis means, what is the text really saying? What's it trying to teach the original audience? What can we glean from it as, as the church now, you know, 1,900 years later or 3,000 years later? 
versus eisegesis where like what do i want it to say you know what do i want to feel when i read this so i i think there is part of reading scripture where we're going to get good feelings and we're going to see hope and we're going to maybe misinterpret it but it's going to that's okay but at the same time we're not going to bet the farm on a speculation and then have that trans translate into all other parts of scripture so that's good that's good um, so, so I think, you know, there's still so many things that we could get into here and in, in just looking at the book. And, and we're going to continue to do that as, as we go through, as we continue in our, in our sermon series, walking through Revelation together as a, as a church family. Um, but I think also as, as, you're, as you're reading it, I encourage you, read it yourself too. As, and as you do that, uh, take the time to, to look at those, those cross-references and, and spend some time in those cross-references because that's also going to help you understand more of the symbolism and the metaphors and, and trying to, to fit this into this, this bigger biblical narrative, this, this redemptive history that, that God is telling through, uh, through the biblical story. We, we really want you to, to know and understand that. But uh, maybe to, to land the plane here for us, what do you hope we as a church will take away from our study of Revelation? So I'm going to let Lawrence end the final thing, but I'm going to say one thing is I hope that you go back. This is just pragmatic. I hope that you read Revelation 4, Revelation 5, Revelation 20, 21, and 22 often. Because 4 and 5 kind of introduce us to the throne room, show us this new reality, show us the lamb slaughtered, give us this beautiful vision of like the the real reality of, of what's going on. And then 20 talks about the destruction of Satan and, and, and God's... And then 21 and 22 say, this is our hope. This is our future. This is this beautiful city that we get to inherit. So one practical hope is I, I hope you read this. A lot of people are like, oh, I love Ephesians. I love Philippians. I hope you read Revelation 4 and 5 and 20, 21 and 22 a lot. That you go back to those a lot. That those are part of your story. Because those are like the summaries of, of what God is teaching us in those letters. So... And then also, I just hope that people come out of it, that Jesus is victorious, that we're going to suffer, but God is good, and he's moving through redemptive history, and we don't have to fear any part of the scriptures. We can come to it, even if we don't understand it, we can, we can you know, walk away being like, okay, God, you're doing something in my heart, even though I didn't understand everything I read. Yeah, I think that's that's good. Those, those are some of the things I've been taking away. Yeah, why, so like, why don't you? So like, you haven't talked much. Yeah, Share so, what, so what Rev, you want us to you learn. Know, Revelation what? four and five is is this reality of you know, and we keep coming back to this that Jesus Jesus is on the throne. That and and, and even the the surprising nature of you you expect this lion of Judah, and what comes out is the the slain lamb who's who's conquered. And so I, I just think that the surprising victory of Jesus coming back to that again and again, and even thinking about it from a practical standpoint of man it where do you see Jesus, where do you see people who are submitting to the, the, the lordship of Jesus today? And it's his church. It's, it's his church. And, and I think that when you take something that is, is, uh, is essentially unseen and you make it seen, a seen reality, when, when we gather together to worship, it's such a beautiful picture of, no, this is, this is really a, a pocket, and there are these, these pockets throughout the, the world because the church is global where people are submitting to the, the rule and reign of Jesus today. And, and I think we need to see that visible picture. Um, and then, you know, with the, the new heavens and the new earth, to say that this, that's, our, that's our destiny. That's our future reality. That, that's what's coming our way. And we're experiencing that even now, that we're, we're living in that even now. And so we, uh, I think coming back, coming back to those things again and again and saying, okay, uh, seeing how, how these different elements of revelation fit in, they're, they're, they're kind of, 
pointing you back to uh, this, this retelling of, of the salvation story of what God has done. You, you can look back at what God did with Israel and think, you know, we're, we're not so detached from that. That's actually our story today. And Jesus is the one who's leading us into this, this promised rest today, that, that we're, we're somewhere, we're at a point along that story, that trajectory of salvation that, that God is working out. And so uh, it, I think that those, those elements make what I'm walking through today, knowing like God is, God is preserving us in the wilderness. He's preserving us even today. He's going to lead us into that promised rest that, uh, that, that does give me a lot of hope and excitement for the, the second coming of Jesus. I mean, you guys basically hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a hopeful message, a reminder that God is sovereignly ruling all of history, that the scroll is written on the front and the back. God has his plan. Jesus is victorious, and he's a slain lamb. That's the returning king. You know, I I love the imagery of the return of the king in the in the book, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The return of the king is like this: he's coming, he's coming. The 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 the, the steward of Gondor is supposed to just set the stage for the return of the king, you know. But he became, um, in the trilogy, he became like ah, oh, he's not coming back. He lives like he's not coming back. That's how he's not supposed to be. But for us, we're supposed to live with this eager anticipation: our king is coming, and he sovereignly rules and reigns. What hope we have! And evil will be destroyed. Evil, and the suffering will not be for. And for no more life. tears. No more tears. No more weeping. I'm going to end with this: Revelation 22, Eden restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then it goes on, and it just says about this prophecy as we read it, as we study it. It says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes the free gift of the water of life. Mm. And it says, Everyone who hears this word of prophecy, take it seriously. And then he says, he who testifies these things says, and this is Jesus speaking, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And that's how our Bible ends. That's the final prophecy. That's our hope. Amen. Amen. That's a powerful word, and that, that's where we'll end it. Uh, we pray that these words are, are words that encourage you, that give you hope, that, that, that spur you on to know that God, God has done something good. And he's continuing to do something good. He's bringing it to completion. The, the salvation that he's promised, it's going to be brought into, into the full completion. God is doing it. And, and we, we hope that as you read it, read Revelation and be encouraged. Find hope in it. Take heart. Uh, and, and let's continue to do this as, as we walk together through, uh, through the book of Revelation. We pray that it encourages you. It gives you hope. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Have a great week. Love you guys. Love you guys.